Dungeons and Drama Nerds, a podcast exploring the intersection of theater and tabletop role-playing games. This week features a game of Bluebeard's Bride. Please be advised that this game contains sex, gore, and themes of gendered violence. For specific content warnings, please check the show notes. So my name is Meeks, my pronouns are she, they, and I am going to be uh, the groundskeeper for Bluebeard's Bride today. Uh, Ramana, let's start with you. Uh, your name and your pronouns and what character you're playing today. My name is Ramana Isabella. Uh, the character I'm going to be playing today is the mother and specifically the bear. The pronouns I'm going to be negotiating with are she, her, and I would like to be referred to as she, her. Corey, how about you? Hi, I'm Corey Flores. I'm going to be playing the witch, and pronouns for both character and person will be she, her. Hale. Uh, I'm Hale Roshan. I'll be playing the Animus, um, and pronouns for the character are she, her. Gina? I'm Gina Femia, and... The character I'll be playing is the Virgin, and that character's pronouns are she and her. And I'm delighted, too, that we have Ella Mock. Ella, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ella. My pronouns are they, them, and I will be, uh, what did we decide it was called? Uh, I'll be working as a safety consultant. Fantastic. So Bluebeard's Bride begins um, with a resuscitation of the Bluebeard uh, fairy tale. So buckle up. Once upon a time, there lived a lord whose beard was a rich and deep blue. Many rumors surrounded Bluebeard in his province, that his house was so lavish and contained some of the finest antiques that had ever been seen, that he'd been unlucky in life since there were no children to his name, and many about his beard, and many about how his beard became blue. But the mystery around Bluebeard that truly baffled the province were the number of women he'd married. No one quite knew what became of each wife, for no one could remember there ever being a funeral at his estate, and yet a new wife would emerge like passing seasons. One day, while traveling far away from his home, Bluebeard came upon a modest farmhouse and hoped to find succor there. The farmer sent his lovely daughter to serve Bluebeard while he rested, only too happy to have a noble of his station in their company. Bluebeard immediately began pursuing the young woman, who was remarkably beautiful and soft-spoken. For a week, he wooed her with baubles, dances, dinners, and outings, sparing no expense as he showed her off to the finest lords and ladies, bought her gifts, and attended church services with her family. Bluebeard proposed to her, and though the young woman was at times fearful of Bluebeard's intensity, she accepted, knowing that her family would be better off, and also knowing that God does not smile down on wanton women who lead men on only to refuse them. The wedding was an obscenely extravagant affair, with everyone partying late into the night, which prevented the marriage from being fully consummated. The next morning, a servant brought the young woman down to breakfast, where she found her new husband in good spirits, but disappointed because business was calling him away immediately, so he'd have to leave her alone for many weeks. To make up for his quick and untimely exit, and perhaps as a sign of trust, he presented her with a large set of keys. He showed off each key and told her that as mistress of the house, she should feel free to go anywhere she liked, save for one room. Holding a tiny key for that one door, he said, I forbid you to use this key. Promise me you'll obey. The young woman promised wholeheartedly and assured him of her faithfulness. After he left, she made herself busy, looking in all the rooms, exploring every nook and cranny of her home, each room seemingly more glorious, filled with unbelievable treasures, books, antiques, and sweet smells. 
But of course, it began to weigh on her. What could possibly be in that room? And shouldn't she have the right as mistress of the house to oversee it all? So in the dead of night, to avoid the servants, she entered the forbidden room, all the while hearing her heart beat in her throat and her pastor's voice telling her that she was being a disloyal wife. And yet she entered. The floor was covered in congealed blood, and the walls were decorated with the severed heads of Bluebeard's previous wives. Their bodies lie in terrible positions on the floor, their faces frozen in terror. In her shock and fear, the young woman dropped the key. She quickly picked it up again and left unsure of what to do. Try as she might, the stain of blood would not come off the key. Bluebeard returned that morning. He asked for the keys, and she obeyed. He held up the forbidden key, still stained with blood. You disobeyed me. You are an unfaithful cur. Now you will take your place among the rest of them. In some renditions, the bride is saved by her mother or brother coming to her rescue. In a different version, she chooses to fool Bluebeard by asking to pray and then jumps from the chapel tower, a death at her own hands perhaps to regain some autonomy. But in most versions, the young woman perishes like the rest of his wives. She kneels before him in the congealed blood, and he does what he was always going to do. That's Bluebeard's story, but now we must focus on our bride. Bum, bum, bum. So you've all picked your play sheets and you have some delightful questions that we're all going to answer together. So we're yeah. going to go around and we're going to sort of uh, answer these questions um, in the order that they are, but we'll, we'll switch it up. So let's start um, with Animus. Um, Animus, if you wouldn't mind, start by reading your little flavor text there next to your name and then read the first question um, under wedding prepped. Animus. You hold on to righteousness with both hands. Others admire your strength and bow to your will. Um, and under wedding prep, uh, the first question is, what are the bride's hands like? Um, and the bride's hands are uh, uh, small, but long, stronger than they seem for their size. Um, long brown fingers, sort of uh, weathered hands, uh, hands that have seen manual labor, um, but there's still a sort of delicacy to them, a sort of like femininity, you know, sort of traditional hand that one might uh, attribute to a sort of like lovely young girl, you know. So they're weathered because they have had to do manual labor, but they also have this hard won femininity. I'm assuming that like you've had to like actually try to make that happen um, and force them to to not be so rough. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, she takes very good care. The bride takes very good care of her hands or as much as possible, again, for a sort of uh, life that she enjoys living, uh, doing manual labor, like sort of farm labor and that kind of thing. Fantastic. Mother, let's go with you. Read your flavor text and uh, your first question. Uh, you walk with authority. Others ache for your approval and long for you to soothe their wounds. And then your first question under wedding prep. What is the bride's figure like? I would say that she is small and compact. And that has a lot to do with how present she is in the moment. She is not necessarily seen in the wedding space, but she has a presence that others don't necessarily register. I would say that she is present in a way that others would overlook, but it is their mistake to overlook her because her presence has a value that others would not necessarily register. Awesome. 
Thank you. Um, Virgin, let's go with you. Read your flavor text and uh, your first question. Uh, the Virgin, you see beauty where there is none. Others seek comfort in your warmth and delight in your obedience. And my first question is, what do the bride's eyes look like? So the bride's eyes are very large. Um, they are a, a dark brown and are very full. Um, so they're, they go on forever and there's an innocence within them. Fantastic. All right. Which your flavor text and your first question. Okay. Flavor text is you braid magic from shadow and blood. Others desire a taste of your sin and pray for your undoing. <clears throat> first wedding prep question. What is the bride's hair like? So I imagine basically Princess Bride <laughs> opening like farm life normally has it back. So it's probably got some curls to it. It's probably pretty long because it's just always tucked up and out of the way. That's what I'm going with because that's the first image that popped in my head. Great. Go ahead and read your next question, which. Ah, beans. Okay. <laughs> How do others like you to wear it? Oh, no. Well, I would say since we're used to having it up all the time, others would like to see it down and probably in more tamed curls. Um, I would say naturally it's probably a little bit more like floofier because I'm assuming we live in a climate where there is humidity. Um, so I would imagine other people would like to see it more tamed and reserved, like soft, beachy, wavy curls or refined curls is there somebody specific who's asked you to wear your hair that way i would assume the people that blue beards introduced us to mm. great uh virgin you you can read your second question how do others know you want them when they gaze into your eyes Ooh. um i mean as the virgin i do think it's a little presumptuous that others uh think they would you know want just by looking at the eyes of the virgin. Um, but I think it's, you know, I, I think that the virgin has long lashes that, you know, that easily <laughs> in a wild succession. And if eye contact is being made when that's happening, I think that others just, you know, they, they assume that I, I want them, that the virgin wants them. Oh, we'll go to Animus. Uh, Animus, um, what is your next question about your hands? Uh, what weakness do you give away when others hold your hand? Vanity, uh, absolutely. And uh, an insecurity of uh, one's place, a sort of a resistance to that farm life, even if uh, it's sort of overall enjoyable or sort of, you know, content, uh, the, the bride is sort of content at the moment. Um, yeah. I love it. Uh, mother, your next question about your yeah. figure. Uh, what do others wish was different about your figure? I would say that the, the wish that I have is different about my figure. I think it's about what others. So it's about what others wish about your figure. This game doesn't really care what you think about yourself. I want to make that really clear. <laughs> the wish that I have, that others have, about my figure has to do with the shape 
that it's created around my figure. I think that the shape that others have is much more subtle and much more reasonable than the shape that is present in their existence. Sorry, just taking notes. That's wonderful. Um, since we're with you, let's ask your next question on the list. So this is, um, what are you leaving behind, behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's Bride? I think that what they are leaving behind to be Bluebeard's Bride is their presence within the natural landscape that they have had a relationship with. The landscape is much more developed and uh, malleable than what they have in mind. And in that relationship, they see themselves as much more uh, shapely and in order to be Bluebeard's bride, they see themselves as much more uh, relational. Fantastic. Uh, I like this connection to the, to the province as well. That's, that's great. Um, let's go uh, to a Virgin. What is your third question? My third question is, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's bride? So I'm leaving the simplicity of my life behind. I lived a very simple life and I really liked living it. You know, I liked doing my manual labor and being surrounded by familiar people. But now I'm going to head off into a really ornate kingdom and it's not going to be simple anymore. So I'm leaving behind simplicity for something greater. Fantastic. And you, and you also mentioned some uh, people. You don't have to you don't have to enunciate those yet, but, but kind of keep that in the back burner of if there are certain people that you are thinking you're leaving behind. Um, Animus, let's go to you. Um, my third question is the same. Um, uh, what are you leaving behind from your provincial life to become Bluebeard's Bride? Uh, a relationship, not just with the landscape, but with um, animals around, sort of a local, both uh, personal pets and just the relationships that sort of uh, happen with, indi with individual animals and then sort of species as a whole when you interact with them on a daily basis, sort of awareness of life that is not human life that is sort of uh, part, but equally part of of what's integral to uh, the entire world sort of functioning and, and the way that people live and sort of connect to something larger than themselves. You mentioned some pets. Do you have pets? Do you have like a specific, like special, special animal? Uh, I think there's a very big, a very big, very old dog who's just, uh, he's been alive as long as uh, I have. And, uh, you know, he just keeps chugging along. He sort of does whatever he needs to do around the farm, but also we don't like to ask him to do too much stuff anymore, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's your favorite? Yeah, that's that's the that's my personal sort of pet. Like the you know, I grew up alongside that dog personally. Yeah. Do you want to give the dog a name? Um. Oh. Oh man, that's the hard. That's now I'm on the spot. Um. <laughs> George. Great. George. Yeah. George, the old dog. Love it. Um, that won't come back to haunt you. All right, which. <laughs> Uh, same question. 
I'm not picking any animals, that's for damn sure. Jeez, my God. Let's see, what am I leaving behind? A male figure that I could push over and toss around. I'm assuming that our dear darling father is just like, you know what, you do whatever you want. It's okay. I love you, my girl. It's I'm whatever. You're like, oh no, you did something bad. That's okay. And I'm used to having a little bit more freedom to be not the best. <laughs> so there's going to be some conflict of just independence, but also malicious independence. I, you mentioned oh. your father. Um, yeah. Good, oh, re- no. good relationship with your father or um, <laughs> you like your father? Yes, um, we like. So I'm going to take this from more of a transactional. We like that we're allowed to be independent and we're, we like that he has covered for us in the past. He's always just been like, oh, it's fine. I'll take care of it. Like, don't worry. Whatever you broke, like, it's okay. Or like something went missing. It's fine. Like, there was always that security. We liked the security provided. Rose, don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, I think that was the end of that round. So, uh, which why don't you go to your next question? When you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that, you, that won you over? Whoa. He was showering us with gifts during courtship, right? And bringing us to meet other people. You can decide however you want to interpret that. The fairy tale, we're not beholden to. We can change whatever we want. This is a hard one. I don't know yet. As the witch, what would have been like, what really would have been the thing that was like you specifically as the witch? Is this part of this the bride's personality? This is the thing that, that really made you understand. Yes, I will I will go with the with him. Well, I'm gonna go with playing to my faces. And since there's one task that requires me to be able to spill my blood. I'm going to assume it's a really beautiful, ornate little dagger as a gift. Tactical. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Uh, let's go back to mother. When you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that won you over? I would say that the loving gesture that connected me to Bluebeard was the physical touch that happened on our wedding night. So this is just about, this is before your wedding. So this isn't, yeah. um, so so uh, the wedding night, spoiler alert, is still going to be the same. You're not going to consummate it. So this is, this yeah. is all before. This is part of courtship. So when you first met, what loving gesture did Bluebeard make that won you over? I would say that the loving gesture that Bluebeard made that won me over was him opening himself up to the history of his own relationship. It was him showing me that him giving me love and attention the same way that he did to his previous wife has a different value. Was it a specific moment that this gesture occurred or was it just like a a conglomeration of moments? That's fine too. I'm just curious. I would say that the specific moment was him grazing my face in him watching the experience he had with his previous one. All right. Awesome. Um, Animus, let's go to you. 
So, yeah, same question. Um, the loving gesture Bluebeard made that won me over, when we were once on a walk together, um, he there we found us, we stumbled upon a sort of wild rose bush, um, and he not only picked the roses, but sort of tore off each thorn individually and then wove them into a crown. Um, and by the end of it, his hands had been sort of torn up with the thorns. But, I, you know, there was no thorns left for, for me to be scratched with. Um, that's fantastic and biblical, um, and great. <laughs> uh, Virgin, you. So the loving gesture that Bluebeard Beard made that won me over, I just, he was very kind to both my parents, my father and my mother, who I love so much. And also to George, my dog, I saw him, you know, he gave George a, a treat and he also, I, he doesn't know I saw this, but I saw him whispering to my parents that they would be taken care of if I was away. So I saw him, I overheard that. And I also saw him give them uh, a couple of, you know, coins as a token. And I thought that was very sweet because my parents are going to be taken care of. That's wonderful. Uh, Virgin, we're going to stick with you. Uh, read your next question. What gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding? Why did you choose this? So the gift that I presented to Bluebeard before the wedding was actually a, a wooden comb for his beard because his beard is so luxurious. And I think I value beauty and I value, you know, well-groomed things. So I feel like I, well, I made him this comb out of wood. I whittled it. And I presented it to him. So I wanted it to be something that he could groom himself with that could make himself look pretty and also something that came from my hands. Does he need to look pretty? Does he not look pretty already? I mean, everybody needs to look pretty. So. Okay. Just yeah. checking. <laughs> um, mother, let's go to you. Your next question, uh, which is, I think, the same one. It's the gift. What gift? What gift did you present to Bluebeard before the wedding? Why did you choose this? I think the gift that I presented to Bluebeard before the wedding was a straight edge razor. What? Because it was not only for him to be presentable to our family and to the family nearby. It was for him to be presentable to the mirror image that he had in himself. And we recognize that the image he had of himself was inherently insecure and invaluable. And that straight edge allowed him to see himself in the valuable space that he deserved to be in. You gave him a, a device to, to shave off his defining characteristic. Fascinating. Exactly. Fascinating. That's not going to come back to haunt you either. Animus, let's go. The gift that I gave Bluebeard uh, was... It was a young, it was a, a sort of family of partridges in a, in like a lovely, like not, not an expensive cage, but a sort of well, well-crafted, um, very sort of beautifully intricate sort of twig branchy kind of cage. Um, and the, it was, it, it 
was sort of the opposite of maybe what the intended symbol might pre be presumed to be, which is not that I am going to be caged in your house, but that, you know, it, again, sort of a reminder of this thing that sort of lived outside, lived, like, like was, is from a very different space than Bluebeard has uh, both himself living in and then sort of historically probably interacted with, become accustomed to. Um, so yeah, just, just a sort of um, a, a gift for me as much as for the, the um, Bluebeard, but hopefully as a sort of token of our, our like unity, our sort of coming together, our um, living hopefully beautifully together uh, inside a, a sort of cr uh, well-crafted space. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, which I think we're with you. Okay. Um, basically, I give him a tonic. A tonic? Um, but this is going to be a special kind. So basically, think of it how like things ferment over time and they change characters. Like wine can turn to vinegar. This is going to be my safety net and I'm building myself some security. So I gave it to him when he was sick. But if he didn't use all of it and it sits up for a long time, it's going to become toxic. So why? Why did you give this gift? Security, because I trust no one. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that leads us into the last question. Uh, so go ahead and read that question for us, which. Well, I think we've kind of answered the first part. Do you trust your generous husband, Bluebeard, or do you hold unkind suspicions? And why is that? Uh, I'll need to remind y'all I'm a witch. Um, I'm not any Galinda over here by any means. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I see there is good and bad in both people, and I am painfully aware of that. And that is both a security thing for myself and also a tool. So unkind suspicions. We could just simplify it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> suspiciously good or suspiciously not good, but very visus, super sus. Uh, animus. Same question. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I guess again, sort of like the witch. You know, I I want to say that I see the potential for both, but I, I would say fundamentally, I think I am skeptical. Um, I think I'm 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 entering into this marriage less because I trust Bluebeard or love Bluebeard or am excited to be his bride and more of the sort of uh, financial and, and social sort of security that it will afford me. All right. Uh, Virgin. I, of course, implicitly trust my husband, Bluebeard, just as I trust my father and um, my mother told me to trust my husband. So why? I don't understand the question. I obviously do. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Gold star. <laughs> mother. I think that I enter every into negotiation with my own best interest at heart. So you're on the fence. Is that a way to, to fairly calculate that at this moment? Yeah, I would say that I am much more perceiving the situation with regards to my own benefit and not so much with regards to the benefit of others. Got it. All right. 
Um, so the next section uh, section is um, sisterly bonds. So each of you has um, has different prompts for this. So we're just going to go um, through each of them. So what you're going to do is you'll read your, your sentence out and then you'll just sort of say who these people are and that'll sort of connect us in this wonderful web of ways. So uh, since we're currently with you, Mother, why don't we start with you? Um, and read them out so we have a good sense of, of what it is you're picking. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to my sisterly bonds, correct? Yes, sisterly bonds. Yeah. Uh, you know best. And I try to guide your wayward sisters. But the virgin irritates you with their obstinance. Oops. Explain a time. They undermined your authority. I would say that the virgin does not necessarily understand the best interest of our entire existence as a whole. Was there a specific moment that like this really came into light that you two disagreed? I would say that the specific moment where that came into light was when it had to do with our hanger at the wedding. She specifically wanted us to be virginal and presentable, whereas I wanted her to be protected and definable. So can we make this on like the wedding, the wedding night itself, like during the ceremony, because this is technically wedding prep. So this can be like part of that. Yeah. Like this is like in getting in the dress. So you, you disagreed about how we were presenting at the wedding. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Uh, And then go ahead and read your next one. My next one is you trust to have your back. Explain a time they supported you in a time of need. I would say that I trust the witch to have my back. I explain that she has my back when I needed her to represent me at our wedding in our time of need. Putting on like the best face for the moment, that kind of thing. Great. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Virgin, let's go to you. Your sisterly bond questions. Uh, Blank blackens your innocence with her every word. Explain how she became your enemy. Oh, sorry. You trust your sisters for the most part, but blank... Blackens your innocence with her every word. Explain how she became your enemy. Uh, The witch blackens my innocence with her every word. She became my enemy because she she had some really odd thoughts before the wedding, I found. Um, You know, she seems to be thinking about the as soon as we stepped into the um, my home she had some thoughts that I didn't agree with about, you know, how I thought that it was beautiful and I love beauty. And she thought that it wasn't, there's things to be questioned and I don't think there's anything to question. So, you know, that was just like the final straw, you know, I don't want to have those thoughts before my wedding. I think that's rude. So that's how she became my enemy. And, um, 
blank often helps you play tricks on the others. Explain a time when she's my ally in mischief. And that's, I would say, Animus helps me play tricks on others. We played a really cool trick together where, you know, a a lot of things like I like to hide things. And then I'm like, and then when the person's looking, I'm like, wait, here it is. (laughs) And I just think that's so fun. And Animus helps me do that. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) um great i love that so much uh animus let's go to you your sisterly bond questions um you hold yourself apart from your sisters but the mother is the only one who soothes you explain a time they calmed your rage um i i felt some rage actually at the wedding proposal like at the at the, the actual question the sort of the question when it was asked to me a week after uh sort of spending some time with bluebeard um in addition to all of the other things i might have been feeling i was kind of angry i was uh you know it was it was both very quick um it was a, it's a very serious decision that i was not previously prepared to make and had not been prepared in any necessarily better ways. Um, But the mother um, sort of talked me down into recognizing, again, the sort of larger picture, the the benefit to myself, the sort of security that would be gained should I enter into this arrangement, um, sort of broke it more down into um, a more complicated sort of holistic thought for me than just uh, he's going to take away my freedom. And I am envious of the witch um, because, and I feel like I can never compare to them because I think, um, I think we have some similar sort of tendencies towards uh, reactions and responses, but I feel like the witch seem, at least my perspective is, the animus's perspective is the witch seems to be able to have a little bit more like chaos around that or, or sort of choose something that might not be so much um, ensuring that I'm following the right path or I'm sort of considering the justice of the situation. Um, and that sort of makes me, I wish I could just sort of choose the, choose the bad option sometimes, you know. <laughs> Uh, I love it. All right, witch, we're on you. What's up, fiends? <laughs> Hello. Okay. Your sisters are not nearly as important as power, but uh, the mother is a useful tool. Explain how they helped your pursuit of blasphemous craft. I feel like we have a lot of similarities in the fact that self-preservation is of the utmost importance and we're willing to bend morals in order to maintain that. And again, the mother is the more righteous figure. So she's able to kind of come to me when she needs to hold face. And then I can kind of do the dirty work behind the scenes. And it's the other way around as well. Like kind of like how I had my father who would take like kind of put band-aids on situations. The mother is the one to be like, why would you question me? Everything I did was perfect. I'm right. You trust me. Listen, so we kind of go hand in hand of like, we can achieve the same thing, but using our own methods. Um, So, (laughs) yeah. Oh, the next one. I'm coming for you, straw. (laughs) Um, The virgin draws an evil to her. Explain what you have done to keep that evil at bay. Oh, man, you are always getting me in trouble, fam. (laughs) So what I have done to keep that evil at bay is to soften my tactics with a more kind of like the fatal demeanor of just like, no, I would never do something to hurt you. I'm so cute and innocent. Of course not. So I have decided to take that evil that she draws in 
and use it to my advantage by portraying myself as her. Ooh, that's fascinating. I love that. <laughs> I'm after you. Awesome. All right. So um, the next thing to just sort of finalize uh, are your stats. Um, so you've already got like one stat that's filled in for you with a plus one. And then you just have to choose um, which stat you want a zero or a negative one in. Um, and you can just do that on your own. I don't need to know that information. That's just if you roll. And we've already talked about there's only a few things that you roll for in this game. But that modifier might help you actually succeed um, or have a consequence that's not as bad. So it's helpful to remember, um, or it could make your consequence worse uh, if you've got your negative one in the wrong place or in the not wrong. There's no wrong. It's just what's going to happen. Um, and then the last thing to do is choose a face. Um, and the way the faces work is sometimes you want to keep them secret and sometimes you don't. I would say that because we uh, because we've not played this game many times, that it's okay if we know that we know which face you've picked. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, just because uh, we won't necessarily know what it means. So um, if you want to, please go around and share um, which face you've picked. You don't have to give, um, you don't have to read your flavor text about it if you don't want to, but you're certainly welcome to if you'd like. Yeah, I'm ready to go. The face that I choose is specifically the mother and the face that I have is the bear. When a sister provokes trauma, you can step in and punish the sister who truly deserves it. Tell mm. the guilty sister to mark the trauma instead and mark one trauma for yourself as well as your failure to prevent. This is self-evident. Awesome. Who else has a face yeah. they would like to share? Uh, yeah, Virgin. My face is the victim. When you caress a horror by inviting it to come closer, mark one trauma to take a 10 plus instead of rolling. Hmm. Ah, the names of these faces are just terrible. Um, in a great way. In a great way. Uh, <laughs> Animus. Um, I have the shield, um, which is uh, when one of your sisters marks trauma, explain to her how the trauma she is experiencing is her fault, then ask if she believes you. If she believes you, she marks one less trauma. If she rejects your explanation, mark one trauma as you experience the shame of your own impotence. All right. And which? I'm going to say mine, but I'm not going to say what it means yet. So nobody cheat. Uh, the Viper. Mm, okay. Um, I had to read it because I get to read it. Um, fantastic. So we have now created the uh, the brides. And when we come back, we will um, get this going. Dungeons and Dramaners is produced by Todd Bryan Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis. And it's mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel-Dean. Our Bluebeard's Bride game features C. Meek Smeeker as the groundskeeper, Gina Famia as the virgin, Hale Roshan as the animus, Corey Flores as the witch, and Romana Isabella as the mother. Bluebeard's Bride was written by Strix Beltran, Marissa Kelly, and Sarah Doom, and published by Magpie Games. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DNDramaNerds. Check out cast bios on our website, DungeonsAndDramaNerds.com, and tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. Dungeons and Drama Nerds.